This is Big Man Tyrone, and you're about to watch the MTG Cabal cast with your hosts, Wood, Thirsty, and Reptar. Sub to us on all your podcast networks at MTG Cabal Cast and YouTube. All right, guys, welcome to the newest episode of the Cabal Cast. Uh, so it's been a fast couple weeks here in the world of magic finance with Pioneer, Mystery Packs, and everything else. So uh -huh. we're going to try to bake down to the basics, which we think is kind of important when times get like this. So we're specifically going to be tackling the difference between investing, specking, and flipping. Yep. How it applies to Pioneer specifically, especially as volatile as the format right now, and then just some broad strokes on magic as a whole. And we've each got examples of what we think each of those are and everything else so uh with that said let's uh go ahead and get it started so what do you think investing is uh, specifically in pioneer so when it comes to pioneer i'm going to look at cards that will live for the lifespan of the format they will live through ban and restricted lists they will live through format shifts basically the foundation of the format and for me, what that means, regardless of whether it's Pioneer or anything else, aside from standard, non-rotating formats, means your mana base. So when I look at Pioneer, I am going to look at foil shock lands. I know that you have check lands, and you have uh, tango lands, and you have creature lands. All of these lands will live through the, uh, the, like the tumultuous beginnings of this format. But I... Shocklands to me are a little more important than those because they basically make and break this format. They are played in modern, and there are some that have made it down into legacy. They are also in high demand for EDH. So you basically have cross-format playability and the opportunity for Watsi to go back to Ravnica again at any point in time and bring the, the Shocklands back or maybe even evergreen them into, stand, into uh, a core set like the checklands, and basically keep them rolling. Specifically, though, it's not just shocklands in general. I'm actually looking at the return to Ravnica block shocklands. And this is the interesting part. So I picked four, one, two, three, four, five shocklands to look at, all for a different reason. The first one is Godless Shrine. Godless Shrine is basically a dead land in every format. It is the bottom of yep. the barrel. It doesn't really get played. So what's interesting about Godless Shrine? Well, the RTR foil is $21.75 right now. The foil market and the foil average prices are flat. The, yep. the new Ravnica printing is $19.91. That's under a $2 difference. The foil average on this card is rebounding while the market is flat. So eventually it will hit the same price as the return to Rav shock. Now... As you go down the list of shocks, you're going to see a multiplier that is either one or less than one for Return to Rav into uh, uh, New Rav. And they go down to about 0.75 at the lowest. That means that they're almost the same price the entire way along. But between Return to Rav and Original Rav block, granted you have a scarcity issue here, there's a th over a 3x multiplier on some of these. Yeah. The... Another interesting one that I looked at, the one that really kind of set the baseline for me, was Sacred Foundry. That is basically a modern-only shock land, aside from EDH, right? Really? Yeah, in the EDH, but that's uh, it. Exactly. Consider every shock EDH playable, but as far as other constructed format goes, Sacred Foundry is a modern-only card. The foil 
original RAV printing has a three times multiplier. It's like $61 compared to the yeah. return to RAV, which is $19.72. The foil average on this card is extremely volatile. It's basically sawtoothing right now. Every couple of days it goes up and then right back down. But if you were to scatter plot graph it, it's going to be a slow sloping line. It's kind of kind of flat, but up a little bit. But the foil market price on this, what people are paying, is actively tanking. So the average is sawtoothing while the market on it is tanking. The new RAV is $15 and is relatively flat for both the foil average and the foil market. So you have a four times multiplier from the new RAV set and a three times multiplier from return to RAV on this. Some of the others I looked at, Watery Grave is a little more interesting because that goes down into Legacy. That's playing yeah. Death and Shadow. You need to play, I think it's three Watery Graves in that deck to appropriately yep. you know, ding your own life total down. Return to RAV, $26. New RAV, $22. The foil average on uh, the return to RAV is cl slowly climbing, but the market has tanked uh, tanked about a month ago and is glacially rebounding. Yeah. The new RAV, again, average flat, but the market is climbing to meet that average, which means they will eventually hit and then take off together. A lot of this has to be taken with a grain of salt in regards to pricing, uh, where the average and market sit for the new return to RAV uh, shocks because we're going to see change in the next couple of weeks. Whenever R&D yeah. can actually squeeze in the conversation about what to ban and when, we're going to see a change in what happens in standard, and that's going to change the pricing on these shocks. It could actually buoy the price of the return to rev, but at a certain point in time, all these return to rev shock prices should increase overall. That three times gap should close. I would expect yeah. it to be in the long run to be about 2x, not 3 so instead of seeing these at 20 each, I would expect them to see at 40 and then 60 plus for the OG, the longer the game goes. Uh, then the last two I have, on my, I have on my list are Breeding Pool and Hollowed Fountain. Breeding Pool is the most popular Shockland right now across Standard, Pioneer, and Modern. Yeah. <clears throat> it is ubiquitous in all those formats. $27 for Return to Rav. The foil average collapsed on this thing. And the market yeah. is climbing to meet it. The market was so low, it's climbing up to meet a tanked uh, average price. However, the new RAV price, the new RAV price is $28. A dollar more than, re than return to RAV, right? Yeah. But the foil average... Yep. And, uh, and the hollow stamp. The foil yeah. average is climbing, and the market <clears throat> is relatively flat on the new one. So this is a unique case, as far as I could tell, out of like the most popular ones. I didn't check Steam Vents because I know... That's not playable right now in standard, but it has the ability to. The teamer deck popped up over the weekend, which definitely was going to skew my numbers as I was running these checks, so I just kind of stayed yeah. away from some of them. The last one on the list is Hollow Fountain. Now, this is a shock land that is kept afloat on the hopes and dreams of control players. They will always yep. float this cost. People believe in blue-white X control or aggro, stone blades, spirits, what have you, and they will float this card appropriately. Yeah. It is $21.94 for return to RAV with the average trending down. The foil market collapsed and is not holding as the average drops to meet it. It is effectively yeah. sliding downwards for both piece, uh, for both prices, and it's $21 for the new RAV. A foil average spike, but corrected at some point yeah. in the last couple of weeks and the market tanked and uh is is heading to meet but it had a very steep like vertical drop of several percent so we're in the neighborhood of 10 to 15 percent is eventually coming back up and if you look at that that's actually kind of the story for a lot of these uh non-players in standard uh somewhere around l drain release 
they all took just a sharp decline in price and eventually either stayed flat or came up. In the case of, what did I say, Sacred Foundry, it's falling. But other than yeah. that, to me, this is investment opportunity. If I could pay the same amount for a new RAV Shockland compared to a return to RAV Shockland, I'm going to buy the return to RAV Shockland because the foil multiplier on that should eventually break, or I'm gonna, I've got to phrase this properly, should shrink from 3% to, sorry, three times to about two times what the original ones were and should yeah. eventually separate from the standard uh, Shocklands, the current ones, the new RAV. The problem you have is that both of these sets were are in the new world order for print demand so they were both printed ad infinitum yep but demand is there for these still it's also worth noting that they were from a set before the new world order of foil printings one of the last sets yeah before we had a foil in every three packs which is where we're at now yeah. So I definitely think that's also something that's very relevant. Yeah, and I, I know people are going to get at me. I believe Hollowed Fountain was in a, an RTR deck of some sort of pre-con. So yeah. that will keep the price depressed so on the non-foil, though. Overgrown Tomb as yeah. well. And I didn't check on that either because green-black X players, much like uh, blue-white X players, will keep that land afloat. And also, it was all over the PTQ. So again, much like Steam Vents, I didn't want to check on check in on a card that I knew was going to see price movement based on how well it was doing over the weekend. So yeah. that that's why I, I picked these, and that's why, to me, this represents investment. Yep. All right, so we did this blind, by the way, because I wanted to see if we would align here and there on, on thought or yeah. cards. So what did you have for uh, investment in Pioneer? So uh, mine, it's interesting that you went for the shock lands because you mentioned the fast lands. Uh, I went for the fast lands. Okay. And the reason being is that I think long-term, the potential for these is there because it's hard to identify fast combo mm -hmm. when a format first rolls into existence mm -hmm. obviously you've got your atarka burn and your red white burn list so like those want those lands yes but seeing something like you know we've seen refined phoenix lists come out over the last couple weeks spire bluff canal was one of the first things i hopped in on because for some reason the foils had never recovered for modern after it rotated out of standard Okay. At the time that Pioneer was announced, you could still get LP foils for 10 to $15 of Spire Bluff Canal. That's obviously not the case anymore. We've had the median go up to 20 and markets sitting at about 17 Yep. Uh, that, Blooming Marsh, is another one that I thought was really good because eventually, once they come to their senses and presumably ban Oko, uh, we will have a GBX mid-range deck that is like the de facto mid-range of the format yeah, yeah and they're the type of thing that if you're fast if you're aggressive if you want to swing under oko you need to have these cards they need to exist there not to mention similar to the Shocklands, this is a format that doesn't punish greedy mana bases there's no blood moon there's no magus of the moon you there's have... no back to basics we have blood sun and alpine moon and feel the ruin technically but like, sure whatever yeah I, th that doesn't like carte blanche punish people the way that you have in like modern mm -hmm. where you have moon effects you have you know price of progress and legacy and back to basics and that's the kind of thing that i think rewards greedy mana bases yep. and between shocklands and fastlands you can be real greedy in this format oh absolutely and 
not to mention the old adage, which I'm sure you know you're familiar with. Obviously, most expensive part of any format is the mana base. Mana base. Always, yep. I always go for the mana base first. Yeah, I like the fast lands over the check lands because the fast lands are generally speaking those col- that color scheme the most degenerate of the bunch. Yeah, blue red is uh, Phoenix. It is Storm. Black green mm-hmm. represents uh, hard, not hard control, but like uh, hand control if you want to look at it that way. Yeah. And the ability Proactive to get to the board. disruption. Yep. And red white represents fast aggression. Mm-hmm. And that base, so that basically leaves you with blue green, which is right now in the Simic control and the Nexus list, and black yeah. white, which is herp to derp permanently. Like, yeah. But you you have that pretty much constantly throughout that, and yep. it's the same thing. I saw it as like this is an investment mm-hmm. because these aren't going to go down in this format. Uh, yeah, sure, they started out banning fetch lands. That's fine. That's how they're going to differentiate it from modern is less shuffling, I guess. Yep. Uh, and that's okay. I don't think they will ever ban fast lands unless they're just like lighting the building on fire, running out of Watsi headquarters, flipping up the deuces and calling it a day. Yeah, absolutely. I just don't see that happening. No, I, I and I, I agree with you. And right now, they're only in one set. They're tied to Kaladesh. So, yeah. and it, not by name, but just by idea right now. It, yeah. It's kind of like the shock lands are tied to Ravnica. Whenever we go back to Ravnica, we're, we know we're getting the shocks. It's something to get people reinvigorated both in the game and the plane itself. Yeah. Uh, Not so. to mention, this completed a cycle. And yes. we have two more land cycles from the last three years that we still have yet to see completed. Uh, we have the Shadows and the BFZ lands. Yes. So I, I don't anticipate this these getting reprinted anytime soon, particularly in foil. No, not uh, at all. And, so. And uh, they, they, they generally should still be easy to find, especially if you have players who are getting either out of modern or pioneer and looking to play standard or other formats or people who were just overstocked from that point in time because people picked up their four for modern and that was it yeah you know, i didn't pick up a lot of these because i just need i picked up what i wanted to to play and then i didn't think about picking up any others yeah it, it i think i have i think botanical sanctum might be the only one i have extras of for some reason and they just at the, at the time they just didn't seem like an seem like an appealing set of lands for me to hold on to long term because you only needed four and at that point storm hadn't really arisen yet in modern uh, you know yeah. it, it surged a little bit with pieces of the puzzle and then fell off and came back a little bit and phoenix was hardly a deck because phoenix yep. wasn't around yet so i kind of got hoisted by not picking up any additionals and i feel bad about it because even in non-foil they're still an investment opportunity yeah they are so, from investment to speculate. Yep. So, for speculation, that's something for me that you you look at and you're like, all right, this has applications. It might not have applications now, but it should in the future. Uh, a good example for me, not the card I chose, uh, but from a while ago, is Sunbird's Invocation. I read that card uh, at Exelon release. It's like, this looks like a good EDH card, but I need proof. Then there was immediate proof, and I went in on, I don't know, how many copies. I've, I've told the story before. I, I bought out CFB a number of times in a row, like yeah. days in a row. Card's great. Yeah. And it has obvious long-term application. It's really weird to reprint. You can put it in standard, but it's going to be like putting Scrambleverse or Warp World in standard. It's not going to do yeah. anything. You can Players, players are just going to be really confused when they open it in uh, pre-releases. 
So it lends itself to commander reprints more often than not, but it has long-term growth potential. Yeah. Right. So for me right now, my speculative card for Pioneer is actually Ulamog the Ceaseless Hungerer. Ah, okay. So yeah. this was before this weekend when we tasked ourselves with this. I had no idea what was going to happen in the PTQ for Pioneer. And the reason I chose uh, Ulamog is because it's a sideboard card in a number of decks, most notably Mono Green Ramp. And guess what they hit with a band today? Vale Mono Summer Green Ramp. And Mono Green Ramp. Now, the interesting thing about Ulamog was that Ulamog actually dropped in price after the Pioneer announcement. But Emrakul climbed and took yeah. over the price of Ulamog. And not just from uh, organic demand. You can tie the date of Emrakul's spike to the Pioneer announcement and Ulamog's fall. Right now, Emrakul's not in sideboards, but Ulamog is. Ulamog is also a primary threat in mono green Tron and modern. If yeah. you know, we, we discussed this before the cast. In two weeks, we have a modern uh, Magic Fest coming up. Granted, it's probably just going to be Simic Wars all over the place because you can still play Oko in this game. But the fact of the matter is, we will have modern in 2020. If there's no Oko, then Tron stands as a decent pillar of the format. Ulamog yep. is a main deck card. That card was 40 50 $60 and eventually came down. If Pioneer remains a format and Mono Green Devotion gets to keep Nykthos, you can cast Ulamog extremely early out of that deck. I watched Todd Anderson several to uh, several matches over the weekend cast a turn two Nissa World Waker. Or, no, sorry, Nissa Who Shakes the pretty, World. Yeah, pretty yeah. pretty brutal. Yeah. Like, that allows you to just cascade out and, eventually, and cast an extremely quick Ulamog and take over. If they don't yeah. take anything else off from this deck and Mono Green Devotion becomes a deck, it's going to take over. And even if it doesn't, you still have Marvel and other applications for Ulamog in this format. And the longer it goes, the more goofy lands you're going to get or goofy ways to cheat this card into play. And yeah. it's going to be one of the premier top-end threats next to Emrakul. Whether or not they, see, they play together... Or it's one or the other, I'm not sure. But Ulamog is a card that dropped at the announcement. Seems wrong, and thus a speculative move for somebody like me who wanted this card to be real, wants this card to be real, and is picking up copies. Yeah. That's, it's me? definitely... I, I think it's... Specking on a new format is hard, because the last time this happened was modern. Yes. And... When that happened, I did the first thing that I could think of, which was let me buy as many full 40 sets of Shocklands as I possibly can. And now we have deck building is so much more evolved. It's mm -hmm. so much more advanced than it was when Modern existed. And we understand how these Eternal formats work. So it's a lot harder, I think, because there are so many options. And I think that stuff like Emrakul is the obvious one because it existed in a deck. It was mm -hmm. in the green-black delirium. And one of the first things people gravitate towards is, well, Marvel was good, Sahili was good, Delirium was good. Like, let's go look at all these Pro Tour decks, right? Yep. And that's what we're going to go to, which we even said on the first episode. That's the first thing to do. And that's what we're seeing now, too. The, the uh, what the hell was the mechanic? The Emerge deck, Team yeah. Merge, from, the, from yeah. the Pro Tour, where Emrakul was first cast. Uh, yeah. Elder Deep, Free uh, Deep Friend is now being bought out. Yeah. I haven't seen results from that deck at all. But that's a Pro Tour winning deck. People are yep. still buying these decks. So it's it's interesting that, you know, there's still these gems that you can just look at the data rather than hive minding, and they're still there. Yeah. Uh, you know, it conversely, 
Uh, my pick for spec was, as of today, a terrible pick. Because <laughs> it was Veil of Summer. All right, <laughs> because, all right. Because I was like, well, I mean, it's, it's a very aggressive form of interaction. It's a cantrip and a color that needs help with proactive disruption like discard yep. or counter spells or anything like that. And it was just a good choice. And that highlights the problems with, you know, investing in this format right now is that if they're banning every week, who knows what's on the chopping block? Mm-hmm. You know, Veil seemed like a sideboard card for the most part. It's not nearly as main deckable as it is in Legacy, where you have Force of Will yeah. and everything, like Slaughter Pact, all that stuff running rampant, Surgical Extraction. And it's not, not the type of thing that I really expected to happen. Obviously, it was I mean, mono green ramp was overrepresented, whatever. And this does make it vulnerable to my favorite archetype, GBX. So I can cast turn one thought seize and not be afraid. Yeah. But, you know, I, I thought it was a good pick because speculation wise, unless they revisited in a core set, not only did it have pioneer upside, it had modern and legacy upside too. Like mm-hmm. this, this card's insane. Uh, but, you know, I uh, got hosed by look at me on the DCI. So. That happens in a new format where they just announce they're going to ban stuff every week. You deal with it. It's true. It's true. Uh, but I mean, yeah, that's that's uh, that was mine. And then of course you have the the flip aspect. Yeah. Which for me is you know I what can I flip quickly aggressively? What can I do about it to get it out of here? And one of the things that's easiest to flip is what we both hit on in investment is for me, uh, my pick was mana base mm-hmm. and it was the Shocklands actually. So I went for those because those are the ones that even outside of, you know, just St. Louis is a modern city that's turning into a pioneer city. Mm-hmm. So being able to buy those up at 60, even 80% of low is still an easy flip to make in town. Mm-hmm. Because someone's going to pay, you know, the sick deals 90%. Someone's going to trade it out straight across. Yep. Whatever they're going to do. And it's an easy flip that can keep your churn going. And, uh, you know, by doing that, I've been able to pick up a bunch of, like, fetch lands and stuff for other formats. Because there's a bunch of people that are moving into Pioneer yep. and out of Modern. And they don't need these fetch lands anymore. So I'm able to flip shock lands they didn't have before for fetches, into yeah. fetch lands they just don't need. Yep. And so. I... I have a completely different card, but the principles are still the same. So when I uh, was writing this, I decided to pick Nexus of Fate. Ah, yeah. Nexus didn't win this uh, this PTQ. On, it wasn't represented in the top eight. But what it does represent is a card that spiked from about $10 to over 20 yep. in the course of a weekend. It is a card that still has both supply and demand, which is the important part. And yep. an offer on 60 to 70% of that spiked card even on the low end offer, will generally buy it and you will have the opportunity to literally just take it from the person in front of you and hand it to the person behind you. Yeah. To recoup that cost. Yeah. For the exact same reason. I also like this card because it spiked recently, which means the floor on it might have reset. Yeah. So if you're picking up for anywhere from 60 to 75%, you've picked it up at old retail and you're most likely insulated from this card just falling out of the format. It should remain at this price. EDH yeah. players will still pick it up, and I believe there's always the opportunity to play this card in the taking turns deck. 
Yeah. Uh, I don't. Th I can't remember if it's in the list or not. But there's the is it turns deck with fires of invention. Yeah. And I think Nexus might have been in there, so it has application in modern if that's the case, because there are people that just want to do that. But this is a card that meets all the exact the exact same criteria that you mentioned. It's a little harder to find now than Shocks because it was just the buy a box promo on that core set, but they're still yeah. floating around Facebook Marketplace and they're still floating around binders and heavy EDH areas. It's not a bad pickup to to try and flip immediately from somebody else to locals. And it's it's also you know I someone I know was actually planning on taking it to SCG Con and now they're like oh well I don't know if I can if I can't play Veil of Summer, and he's gonna play it anyways. Yeah, especially this time of like right now because we have so many pioneer events coming at us that you almost unless your card specifically gets banned like mine yeah you don't really have to worry because yeah. people have been testing this they may not be as agile because the paper metagame doesn't shift as quickly as moto does but, and that's just the reality of it because yeah. when you can use mana hoarders to just rent a deck and change every day you're gonna rent a deck and change every day yeah exactly the, the, there is now a subscription on moto when it's your mana your mana hoarders your mana trader whatever it is account that's your subscription model to moto now but the other yeah. thing is is that nexus can change and it can go back to bat you can play teferi and you can play yeah. a little more defensive you can take a little more defensive of posture there are more there's more than one way to build this deck somebody just took the most obvious one playing uh heavier into the simic plans so they could run the creature land in lumbering falls yeah. than going uh bent and playing teferi uh, effectively losing out on the ability to play the creature lands because you need as much to come into play untapped as possible for that turn three teferi to start taking over but the opportunity is still there and i think this is important like the reason i actually threw out this topic midweek was because i was seeing a number of people talk about pioneer and what to speculate on and the cards people were talking about weren't speculation cards they were more investment style or they were more flip and i think there's a bit of a misunderstanding yeah. in regards to the community about what each one of these words means and the the thought and the position you have to put into taking one of these positions essentially yeah. like if you're a heavy green black x player like you are and somebody says here's a pioneer format for you it's from here to here have fun and your first your first first thought is why is nobody playing Roxasha Death Dealer in the format? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe you should review like and 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 tell other people to speculate on it because you think it has the ability in the format. Maybe you should actually search gatherer instead and look at something like uh Grimflare. Yeah. Grimflare quietly went from like ten to twenty dollars. That's pretty great. It it is an outstanding card. So there was no defensible position really in Roxasha Death Dealer besides it pumps itself and it can regenerate. Sure, but by the time that matters, you might have been outclassed by Death Dealer and Scavenging Ooze and Lily Last Hope, Hero's Downfall, all these other cards you have access to. Yeah, that do the same thing a little bit better. Yeah, and especially with a new format like this, you want to put in that extra time. I think I spent more time going through and clicking on links just to build a list of five Fetchlands than I have for several of our other shows. It might show, yeah. it might not. I don't know. But I went through and I, like, it was a lot of mornings thinking of, like, what am I going to do in this format because I'm running out of uh, cards that I spec'd on before. Like, Smuggler's yep. Copters are the last, and uh, Dig Through Times are the, the biggest players I have left in this format. To, to send out everything else is smaller and less than four quantity 
So this is helpful for me too, to take that step back and reevaluate and say, okay, if I'm going to invest in this format, what am I going to invest in? Yeah. Like, and I hadn't checked foil shocks in a while for myself. Like, what are they sitting at? And I found that with this weird correlation. Okay, if I'm going to speculate on this format, where am I going to go? What looks best? What are we, what are people doing? How can people be degenerate? And, you yeah. know, that led me to Ulamog. And then flipping was Nexus because there are people still trying to do this thing. Wilderness yep. Wreck is a real card. I mean, who knows? Maybe they play Teamer with Expansion Explosion and they just take a bunch of turns and then blow your face off. Who knows? But the opportunity is still there for people to do this, and these cards are quick flips because of that. You know, it's just yet another example of put in the time. Yep. You gotta just gotta do a little bit of research, yep. and that's it. Yeah, and you gotta yep, understand your marketplace. You gotta understand uh, in general, like what does what does it mean for Pioneer, and then understand your marketplace locally if that's your venue. Yeah. You know, uh, and then you have to understand how this also applies to Magic as a whole. How does, yeah. how can you take the knowledge that you that you are working on building in Pioneer and apply it to the rest of the game? You know, how can you take this knowledge and apply it to waning formats in Legacy and what we think might be modern soon? Yeah, you know, after the the next few modern Magic Fests, are there lessons to be applied here? Do people need things in your area? Is there any way you could apply you know flip methodology to that kind of stuff? Can you move things around from a Magic Fest in your area, go out, buy cheap, and sell to players in your area? All relevant to this conversation, and it's just this larger overarching piece that we haven't covered yet, yeah. and we think is actually really important. Yeah, so. I agree, and it's, you know, it, again, it's when we harp on this all the time, it's about what your local local um, market is going to dictate. Yep. Because it really is, you know, that's going to be your easiest way to liquidate. Yep. Sure, you can throw it on TCG. That math's a little bit harder because then you have to factor in fees and mm -hmm. everything else, shipping, cost of time. But it's important that, like, your quickest flip, like you said, take it from the guy in front of you to the guy behind you. And what's going to give you the best return on your time? And I think that that's something that a lot of people, when looking at the spec flip invest kind of lose sight of yeah. because there's a lot of bleed over from one to the next yeah. and people may not necessarily realize you know and we touched on this before uh, you know it, if it gets banned it just becomes a long term hold yes I, it, there's no bad specs yeah, just, just long term holds yeah. and just trying to be mindful of what your time commitment is on all of that stuff and that's one of the biggest things I think is the difference at magic at large between the spec invest and flip mm -hmm. because your invest is a definite long term your flip is definite short term your spec doesn't know yeah it, it, your spec could explode tomorrow it could explode in a year you just have to be ready to get rid of it when you're ready to get rid of it yes and i think that I, that last bit is actually uh one of the important ones you know you can leave money on the table for the next guy that's fine yeah. As long as you can get out at a, a net neutral or positive. You, yeah. You can definitely leave money on the, on the table for the next guy. It's, it's not that important that you you squeeze every dollar out because that's how you can get hoisted. Yeah, yeah. it is. I'm tracking my Pioneer specs over the last... Since the day of announcement. And I'm watching a lot of buy lists sawtooth on uh, smaller some smaller cards. You know, yeah. I might have lost like 25 cents on the best buy list because I didn't buy a list then. Yeah. Yeah. 
So, you gotta be careful. Alright, picks. Indeed. Yes, I'll picks. Go. So. I'll go first, because I said so. Which All I do right, on the occasion. Alright. Yeah. So, uh, my pick is Pioneer-related. And my pick is Warden of the First Tree. It was a uh, premier threat for the Abzan decks in Standard in front of Siege Rhino because it comes down earlier, it gets bigger faster. And uh, of the lists that I've seen, it's put in some real work recently on uh, like playtesting coverage. Yep. And it's a card that for a very long time, as you guys just saw on the stocks page, was absolutely flat at uh, about a 35 cents and has only been ticking up since it's gone it's over doubled since the yeah. pioneer announcement this thing can still be had as a 70 cent mythic which is also really important to note and it is extremely obnoxious because it puts plus one plus one counters on itself which means something like oko does not work out too well if you can get out ahead of it and start pumping counters on uh, beforehand yeah. Compared to something like Whisperwood Elemental, which is generally a, a sideboard card out of these decks, once people can actually figure out how to get Abzan working, I think this card becomes a linchpin in it. You don't have a yeah. lot of one CMC good mono dorks. You have Goose. You don't have Birds or Noble. So this slots into the one drop position in the deck and is Pretty just well. a, a, a card you can ride home. Like. Activation is white-black, so it can stay in green-white. It can go in green-black, or it can go in the full Abzan deck. But this is definitely a card I see coming coming forward and becoming a player in the format. I agree. Uh, it's, you know, a figure of destiny is always a thing that obviously it's going to get likened to yeah. because it, it's Abzan figure, and that's fine. That's mm -hmm. how it is. Um, I think it's absolutely one of the better efficient threats in the format, and I think that you touched on one of the most important things is that those counters get around Oko mm -hmm. because that is such an important piece of evasion there because until they come to their senses, uh, you got to have a way to effectively deal with it. And that's one of the best ones. So I, I definitely think it's a solid one. I picked up about 16 foils not too long ago. Um, just because, you know, yeah, for $2, why not? Dollars, they why were not? sub yeah. a dollar at the time. Yeah. Because when, when Pioneer was first announced, it was like $0.16 cents for the non-foil, and you could get pre-release foils for between $0.80 cents and $1.10. And I was like, well, I mean, yeah, sure, they're stamped, but I, it's a foil. In an eternal format, someone will just do it, yep. and that's fine. So that's where we ended up at. I, I think that's a solid one for sure. Um, mine... Uh, is actually related almost entirely to some information that came out this weekend regarding these mystery boosters. And that is Ristic Study was now printed as a common in the mystery set. And incidentally, while we were recording this episode, I got the solicitation email from GTS uh, for the mystery booster displays for retailers. Okay. So the booster pack contents... Two, two of each color, commons or uncommons, guaranteed seated. So, odds are pretty high that there's going to be some number of Ristic studies at common that are going to end up in these packs. Yes. And that will only serve to further take the value down. Which, again, 
long term, I don't think is really the case. I'd mm-hmm. give it a month or so until these boosters start like getting out there. Although it looks like, based on the solicitation, release date is three thirteen twenty. So it'll actually be about March that this stuff hits shelves. And you'll start to see the price really start to tank more. Yep. Although we've got a bunch of events until then, like packs and everything else, that will have these. And I wouldn't be surprised if we see a panic sell of people trying to get out of them now that it tanked. Mm-hmm. And it is definitely a good time to get into it just because, again, like, it's perfect. It's these pauper play, it's these EDH play. And as we all know, casuals drive the market. Mm-hmm. And this is very much like a casual EDH as well as a CEDH card. Yeah. So it's definitely very, very good. Yeah. So. And for those that don't know, talk going back to the mystery boosters, it's over 1,600 cards total yeah. in the set. So even as these do come out, <clears throat> it's not going to be the same as a card being reprinted in standard. These This set is five times larger than a standard set. And if adoption at the Magic Fest level or the event level is not as high <clears throat> as Watsy expects, then these packs just rot. Yep. And that just serves to uh, dampen supply. Yeah. And it'll just be what comes out from Prophecy for a non-foil version of this. So, no, I, I always like Rhystic Study as a pickup in any condition because it's oh, like yeah. a duel and it's like power. The Oddly enough, the worse condition it is, the easier it is to move. Because paying $20 for a common from Prophecy for a lot of people is a little too much. Absurd. But yeah. they'll take it at 12 or 10 yeah. just because it's played. They need a copy. Yeah. It's cheaper. They'll use it. So That's all they need. Yeah. Just a play- a sleeve playable copy. Yeah. So especially on like the casual stuff, pick it up. Yeah. Sleeve playable, doesn't matter. And I know this is anecdotal, but every EDH collection that I've bought with the Ristic Study, they are beat yeah like i think i might have one uh or two from when i was opening packs of prophecy or trading around in that era but yeah. other than that they every edh collection has beat ass rhystic studies like so by all means pick up any of these you can because they are easy 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 flips and even yeah. more so like this is a card that also likes to slip under the the radar of a lot of people because they might not be heavily invested in the commander format. They're not. They may not pay attention to EDH track, or they may, they may not even want to play seventy five percent decks. You know. Yeah. They might just want to play cards they have. Well, you have a couple of these in a binder. If somebody's coming through and they see this, like that's an easy flip. You know, it's just like Sol Ring. People play this when they can, which is always. Yeah. So literally always. No. It. Uh, yeah. This should just be in every EDH precon. Uh, it just annoys me. It's like. I, I agree. Along with Soul Ring, it should literally just be every yeah. single pre-con has this. There's no reason for it to not be there. Yeah. Uh, the, yeah. There are a handful of cards that just don't make sense why they aren't there all the time. Are you really going to kill the format if you print more Lightning Greaves and Swift Foot Boots or Phyrexian Arenas? No. You're not going to kill the value. Yeah. People will buy those decks for Ristic Study. Yeah. They'll pay they $15 extra for 98 other cards. Yeah, they will. It's fine. But, uh, I... Yeah. I love this pick. Everything about it, you said I agree with. Yeah. And the longer we go with this game, the more people got to realize that he, he, casuals drive the market, and you don't get much yep. more casual than this. Maybe That's smothering exactly type. Right. Maybe smothering type. Fair. Because apparently white is just that bad. <laughs> it is. It's so bad. 
But uh, now with that, guys, yeah. I think that's it for uh, for this week. But uh, we are at MTG Cabalcast on uh, Patreon, Twitter, Facebook, which we do have for some reason. Yeah, I am at Halt I am Reptar on Twitter. You are at Thirsty Sizzler. And we will actually be putting up a poll shortly, uh, probably this week or next, in our Discord to talk about what our uh, Patreon bonuses for 2020 are going to be. So if you're not a, a patron, get on that, because there's still room for the Uma box and anything else we decide to throw at you for uh, the rest of this year. Yeah. And then you also get some say into what we do next year. Yeah. Let us know. It'll be great. Please join. It's going to be phenomenal. See you guys next week. Yep. See ya.